you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. So from Luke chapter 23, verse 32 to 43. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by, watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Liv. Well, good morning. Here you can take your seats. Uh, if we haven't had the pleasure of meeting, my name uh, is Neil. I get the joy of being one of the pastors here at Sierra Hill. Uh, and, and there's a handful of reasons uh, for why government uh, is kind enough to, to grant us a public holiday like today. Uh, so most public holidays, we know, mark some kind of significant uh, historical event. Uh, we think about, you know, Anzac Day or Labor Day or, or Australia Day, or it's a particularly significant uh, religious event in the calendar, such as uh, the AFL Grand Final, for example. Uh, and Christmas and Easter for Christians really encompass both of those aspects. They're, they're significant on the religious calendar because we believe that they're the most significant events in the history of the world. The, the birth, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, that is the, the Son of God, who, who, who came to earth as a man, that this is the dividing line in world history. Jesus is the most influential person who has ever walked the earth. That uh, entire civilizations and, and nations and economies have been transformed and influenced by him. It even you know, it divides our, our calendar with you know, BC and AD. But it's critical for us to realize that Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection is, is not only the dividing line of world history, but it's the dividing line of eternity for you and me. And as we take some time on this Good Friday morning to, to, to examine it and look at the, the death of Jesus, and we see in this story, uh, we're looking at it, there's not just one cross here, but there's actually three crosses. 
and on either side of Jesus are two criminals, and they're both being crucified as well. These are uh, desperate men. They're, they've been violent men who, in many ways, are kind of you know in identical situations, living identical lives. They're now in the exact same position, hanging across, being uh, punished for the same crime, the same day, at the same time, in the same place, merely meters apart, and perhaps they're only just you know, hours or even minutes from death. They're both completely powerless to do anything with the little life that they have yet and left. And, and yet, because of what happens... In, in, in these few final moments, these two men live on land on completely different sides of that dividing line of eternity. And they end up eternities apart. And if you, you dare to look closely at this story, you, you realise that, that your life is represented by one of them. Because encapsulated in, in, in these three crosses is the entire story of the human race. So if you've got your Bible there, love you to keep it open there with us in Luke chapter 23. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, then the words will be on the screen. You'll be able to follow along. But this morning, we'll, we'll see that these three crosses represent three different things. We see that there's a cross of rejection, the, the cross of repentance, and there's the cross of redemption. First of all, we're going to consider this cross of rejection. So Luke 23, verse 39, uh, introduces us to uh, the first of these criminals. This is what he says. One of the criminals who, were hanging, who hanged there railed at him, railed at Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Now, it can be pretty easy for us just to kind of write this guy off because he's just there kind of cussing out Jesus. But, but what this guy shows us is, is actually how easy it is for us to miss who Jesus really is. Because what, what is he doing here? Well, he's actually just following along with the crowds. A few verses before, verses uh, 35 to 37 says, uh, what's going on there? And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one, the soldiers, they also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, then save yourself. And so perhaps you can imagine this scene. There's a whole crowd of people gathered around these three crosses, and yet all of the focus is on the man in the middle. Yeah, and there's people from kind of all opposite and different sides of society. Now, you know, there's the religious leaders and there's the, 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 the governing Roman officials and the police. And, and these, all these people are typically kind of more natural enemies. They never agree on anything. And yet here, they, they all join together to join in mocking Jesus. And so there's the, there's the religious leaders and saying, you know, aren't you the, the, supposed to be the chosen one? Aren't you the, the, the Messiah? You know, the Messiah wouldn't be up there on the cross dying. So this is actually God proving to you that you're not who you think you are. Then there's the soldiers. There's the, 
you know, the, the, the Roman police effectively, uh, they're saying, you know, aren't you supposed to be the king? Why don't you come down and rule from your throne? And so even this criminal who is actually up there in the same place as Jesus joins in with the crowd and begins to mock Jesus. Are you not the Christ? And there's no indication whether this guy actually knew anything about Jesus before he was being up there on the cross with him. Maybe he'd kind of heard, him, heard of him. But there's no indication that he's ever kind of, you know, even spoken to Jesus before this moment. And so perhaps all he knows about Jesus is what he's heard from the crowds who are mocking him. I mean, you know, for him, he's got nothing to lose. Uh, he's in exactly the same place. And so if joining in with the crowd and mocking the, 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 the man in the middle helps kind of direct some attention off him, then why not go for it, huh? We like to... We like to think that we, you know, that we really are just our own people, that we're, that we're not so easily influenced by others and that you know, on, on all things, especially anything that's kind of important, that we, we like to think that we come to our own conclusions. But see, this social pressure that was at play then is still at play today. And so whether it's in you know, there's movies or TV or in the media... Our politicians, community leaders, it's, it's not uncommon for, for those spaces to still be full of people who, who are making fun of Christianity, you know, der, der, deriding uh, and discrediting what, what, what Christians believe. They're, they're, they're mocking Jesus. Now, that's not to say that the, the church hasn't done dumb and, and wicked things. The, the church has often had a bad reputation, and that has been at times for good reason. But now, just as it was then, it's easy for us to just be you know, swept up in what everyone else is saying. Reposting what everyone else is posting, just recycling other people's words. And if we do that, we can miss who Jesus really is. And so as this Criminal, he's, he, he's joining in mocking Jesus. He actually also sees this as an opportunity. An opportunity to, to, just, to just Jesus. That, that actually, maybe, maybe if Jesus really is who he says he is. I mean, apparently this guy's been doing miracles, raising people from the dead, healing people. Well, then maybe, surely he can. If that's true, then, then, then maybe he can save me right now. Maybe, maybe he can get me out of this situation. He can save my skin. And so he says... You know, you know the Christ isn't, isn't, isn't this supposed to be true? Well, we'll save yourself and, and save us too. And so what is, he, what is he saying here? What is he doing? He's saying, I want you to prove yourself to me. That if, that if you really are who you say you are, if you really are this Messiah, if you're really the Son of God, then, then prove it and get me down from here. Get, get me out of this situation and then I'll believe that it's true, I'll believe who you are who you say you are. And so what is it that he's, he's wanting from Jesus? He's, he's wanting his you know, immediate felt needs met. Saying, I'm, I'm desperate and I have this need, so if, if you do this for me now, then, then I'll believe in you. Then I'll follow you. And we can't really critique this guy too much for doing this because... 
This is something that almost everyone does. But at some point, perhaps you've, you've found yourself in a, in a kind of desperate situation. And in that moment, you, you've cried out to God saying, hey, if, if you do this for me now, if, if you get me out of this bind I'm in, if you, you prove yourself, well, well, well then, then I'll believe in you. Then, then I'll follow you. And it's like you're, like you're trying to make some kind of deal with God, holding him to ransom with your devotion to him. And this is true for you know, even the irreligious and, and those who don't believe in God. There's a saying, uh, there's no atheists in foxholes. Uh, a foxhole is a, you know, a kind of small place that you would hide on the, on the battlefield when you've been outnumbered and outgunned and you're out of luck and death is intimate. And all you've got is a place to hide. And so in that moment, that in that desperate situation of life and death, that you know, even the, the hardened atheist might at that point you know, cry out to God and say, hey, I will believe in you if you get me out of this. See, if you come to God like that, then it's not really God that you want. So you're just trying to use God to get the thing that you really want. And whatever that thing is, then that's actually your real God. And then when you know, God, he, he, he maybe doesn't come through for you in that moment how you wanted him to, he doesn't do exactly what you wanted him to do, then you say, well, well I'm not going to believe in you. I'm not going to follow you. I'm not going to devote for my life. You, you didn't do what I wanted to you, and so I'm going to sit in judgment over you. And the reason that so many people, and perhaps even here today, that you're struggling to believe well is because you've come to God saying, God, if you do this, if you fix this, if you heal me, if you give me this thing that I feel like I really need, if you make it better, well, well, then I'll believe in you. Then, then, I'll, then I'll really follow you. Then I'll, then I'll know that you're really true. And this world is constantly telling us that, that, that everything is about us, that everything exists for us and to make us better. Then how, how easy is it for us to approach God in this same way? To, to come to God and put conditions on him if he doesn't do what we want him to do. And so when we approach God like this, we're actually like this first guy here. This criminal who ultimately rejects Jesus because he misses who Jesus really is. So we see that in the cross of rejection. But there's another cross on the other side of Jesus, and on there hangs another criminal. And so let's consider now the cross of repentance. So well, this first criminal, he, uh, he missed seeing Jesus for who he truly is. This one, for the first time in his life, actually sees things clearly. And there's two things in particular that he sees. First thing is he, he sees his situation clearly. Let's listen to how he, he responds uh, to the other criminal. Verse 40 says, But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, 
since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Uh, Tim Keller explains that, that what this second criminal here, what he confesses, is something that's impossible to admit without God's help. See, see crucifixion, it wasn't uh, just for your kind of everyday, you know, criminals and thieves. So it's actually likely that, that these men were, were more like insurrectionists. You know, they, they, were, they were guerrilla fighters, freedom fighters. They, they saw themselves as the good guys fighting justly against the unjust and oppressive Roman Empire. And, and, and like Jesus, is, they're actually being crucified for the same kind of thing, for, for sedition and insurrection against the Roman Empire. And this means that there's, there's no way that they would actually themselves be saying that they're getting what they justly deserve, that they're being justly and fairly put to death by Rome, that there's no way that he would have thought that he deserved to die at the hands of Rome. So what then does it, does it mean, what he says here, that he's being punished justly and receiving his due reward for his deeds? He's recognizing that the true judge is not Rome, but God. That's why he says, do, do, do you not fear God? See, he sees that he, he deserves in this moment to actually be abandoned by God. He, he deserves death for his sins against God. But yes, he's an insurrectionist. But he realizes that his insurrection actually, it's not against Rome. He's an insurrectionist against God. That he's been living his whole life, even doing the things that he thought was good and just and right, that he's, that he's actually still been living in rebellion against God. And, and that's the essence of sin. And so this man sees that his real problem is, is not that he's dying and that he needs to be saved from death. It, it's, it's, his real problem isn't that he's being treated and punished unjustly in his own eyes. No, he sees that his real problem is actually his rebellion against God. The other uh, gospel accounts tell us that that at least one stage, that, that both of these men were, were joining in with the crowds and mocking Jesus. Which means that you know, this, this guy didn't wake up in the morning believing and trusting in Jesus. That, that, that something happened in these few hours when he was hanging on the cross that changed him. See, because here he, he, he not only begins to see his own situation clearly, but he he actually sees Jesus clearly for who he is. And so when did this happen? When did this change happen? Well, well it doesn't say, but, but moments earlier, he wasn't only watching, he was, he was joining in. He was, he was mocking and, and hurling insults at Jesus, laughing at him. And, and then what he saw was how Jesus responded. How did Jesus respond? It tells us in verse 34. It says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So when Jesus was reviled, he didn't, he didn't revile back. 
When Jesus was treated unjustly, he didn't respond with injustice. But as he's being killed, tortured, taunted, mocked, that in that moment, Jesus forgave. And I think perhaps that it's, it's at that moment when he saw how Jesus responded to and forgave those who were mocking him and killing him, that he sees his sin for, who he truly, for what it truly is. And then for the first time, he sees Jesus clearly for who he is. And that he owns his sin before God and says, that's, that there, that forgiveness that he's giving, that's the forgiveness I need. That's the forgiveness I need. And so he realizes in, in verse 41. It says, We indeed justly for our receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man, this man has done nothing wrong. Now, I think with, think on this with me for a moment. If he's, if he's recognized that the, the, the reason that he deserves death is is not primarily for his crimes against Rome, but, but for his crimes against God. And yet he says that Jesus has done nothing wrong. Then he's, he's recognized that, that Jesus isn't, isn't merely just a good man, but Jesus is actually a sinless man. That before God, that he is perfect. That actually, he really is the chosen one. That he really is this, this Messiah. See, above Jesus' head was a sign that, that mockingly stated the, the charge on Jesus, what he was charged for. It said, the king of the Jews. And what does he say? Verse 42, he says, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. He's saying, you really are the king. That actually, that, that's true. That you really are the king and, and your kingdom isn't of this world. And so see here that he, he's not asking for Jesus to take him down off the cross. He, he, he's not asking to be, to be saved from death. He, he, he's not going to Jesus just so he can get a change in his situation or, or, or fix his problems. He didn't put conditions on Jesus saying, hey, well, if you do this for me, then I'll believe in you and then I'll follow you. See, the, the, the first criminal... He, he turned to Jesus to save his own skin. and said, if you do that, then I'll believe. But here, this man believes who Jesus is and turned to him not to save his skin, but to save his soul. This is, this is repentance and faith. Recognizing your sin before God for your need for Jesus to die for you in your place and turning to him in faith despite your situation. Now think about just how crazy this request is. I mean, re remember me when you're in your kingdom. I mean, there's, there's absolutely nothing this guy has to offer Jesus. You know, he can't come to church, can't plant a church, can't evangelize and tell other people about Jesus. He, he can't clean up his life and get his acts together. He can't go and get baptized. He, he, he can't you know, go and make restitution to all the people he's wronged. All he can do is die. 
But the only thing crazier than this guy's request is that Jesus actually grants it, right? I mean, let's, get it, let's consider then this, this, this middle cross, this final cross, the cross of redemption. Because what does Jesus say to him? Verse 43, And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, it's easy for us to kind of understand, you know, essentially what this uh, verse says. And if I was asked you, though, well, what, is, what is kind of the big emphasis? What is the big key idea in this passage? If you're going to zero in on one word, what's the big takeaway? And if, if I asked you that, maybe you say, well, eh, the big idea is paradise, right? That this guy gets to go to heaven. And that's true, right? That's, that's critical. But the emphasis in the sentence is actually not on paradise, but it's on the words with me. That he is with Jesus. Let me show you something uh, important uh, in Ephesians chapter 2. So maybe flick over there if you've got your Bible. Uh, you may uh, know this verse, you might have heard it before, uh, and perhaps glossed over this kind of little detail. Uh, you know, it kind of reads a little funny, and you maybe just think it's a little translation, you know, quirk or something like that. Uh, but have a look with me at Ephesians 2 4 through to 6. It says this but, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now we're going to have a little bit of an English lesson here. Right? We're going to look at the tenses in this uh, passage. Now I failed uh, VC English, uh, so I may not be the right person, but I think I can, I can figure this one out. All right, so we're going to look, we're going to have a look again at uh, verse 5, if we can have maybe that on the screen, and, and make our way through it and see what tense is he talking? Is it past or present or future? And so verse 5 says, when we were dead in our trespasses. Okay, is that past, present, future? You guys fail English too? <laughs> past, right? right? I'm not tricky, I'm not tricky. I'm just, right, past. Right, we were dead, Yeah? He, he made us alive. Is that past, present, or future? Past, right? I heard a murmur. I think he said past. By grace, you have been saved. Past, right? And then verse 6. He, he raised us up with him, right? It's happened in the past, right? That we've been raised with Christ. And okay, so far, so good that, that if you're a Christian, that God has done all of these things in the past for you and apply, applied them to you. All right, so let's keep going. It says, and he seated us with him in the heavenly places. Seated us. Is that past, present, or future? It's past tense, right? But hang on, shouldn't that, isn't that something that happens in the future? Doesn't that happen you know, when we die, we go to heaven, that, that that's when we'll be seated with him? You know, this text tells us that that, that is something that has already happened that right now, if you're in Jesus, that you are seated with him in the heavenly places. See, this is critical for you to understand because becoming a Christian, the conversion, turning to Jesus is not about a change in your situation or having your felt kind of needs met. 
See, that's what the, the first criminal was after. And, you know, that may happen. Jesus may do that. There's no guarantees there. And becoming a Christian isn't even primarily about going to heaven, even though if you are a Christian, that, that will happen. That is guaranteed. See, Christian conversion is, is not primarily about a, a change in situation or a change in behavior or even primarily about a change in destination when you die. It's about a change in your position. It's about a change in your status. It's a, it's a change in who you're now identified with, that, you, that now you're identified with Christ and he identifies with you that his life is your life and your life is his life, that he has taken your sin and given you his righteousness so that you could be with him. And this reality is what transforms your life. In the 18th century lived a man named John Newton. Uh, maybe you've, you've heard of him. He was... Uh, known as a, as a hard man, that he, uh, that he had a foul mouth, and that he was known by others who, who someone who, who mocked God like this first criminal. He was a, a slave trader, and he was actually the, the captain of a, of a slave trading ship that was transporting uh, slaves between Africa and the Americas. Now, on one of these trips, he, he, he picked, up a, uh, picked up a book, of a, a copy of a book by a guy named uh, Thomas Akempis. And in that book, it talked about uh, this Jesus and how he died for sin and that there was forgiveness and freedom in Jesus. And so he began to wonder, well, what if this is actually true? What if what this says, what if this Jesus is actually who he says he is? But he quickly kind of just rejected that thought and then went back to, put the book down and went back to, to joking around with his fellow shipmates on board. But then that night, he was wakened by a, a violent wave crashing against his ship. And his cabin began to fill with water. And so when he went above, he saw that the, the ship was beginning to be torn apart. And, and everyone on board was in terrible danger. And he said, And I concluded that my sins were too great to be forgiven. I waited with fear and impatience to receive my doom. The men worked and they pumped the water out and eventually the, the storm uh, dissipated and there was, there was a moment where they, they realised that actually, no, they're going to be okay. That's what John Newton said. He said, I began to pray. I could not utter the, the prayer of faith. I could not draw near to a reconciled God and call him Father. My prayer was like the cry of the ravens, which yet the, which yet the Lord does not disdain to hear. I now began to think of that Jesus that I had so often derided. I recollected his death, a death for sins, not his own. But as I remembered that he died for the sake of those who should put their trust in him. So I was saying, this wasn't a, an eloquent or, or well thought out plan kind of prayer. He knew that, that he actually had no right to, to, to come to God as Father, to call him Father, to, to draw near to God at all. But he simply cried out to God and trusted in Jesus in his death for his sin. And God saved his soul. 
and God worked in him, transforming his life. And over the years, he began to realize just how, how sinful and wrong slavery was. And so he devoted his life to help abolish slavery. He became a, a minister of the gospel and a hymn writer. And he wrote these, these famous words, perhaps you know them. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, now I'm found. I once was blind, now I see. In this, this moment, these two criminals, either side of Jesus, every one of us is represented in these men. Each of us will be one of them. In many ways, they look almost identical. Both criminals, both guilty, both dying for their crimes. Same day, same time, same place. But right now, one of them is with Jesus in paradise. And the other is receiving his just punishment for his insurrection against God. Like these criminals, that we too are guilty. We, we too are dying, right? Death for us may not be minutes or hours away, but it's just as certain for us as it was for them. And, and you may not be a, a criminal like these two were, but, but we're all still under the same condemnation for our sin. And see, both of these men came face to face with Jesus. And when you come face to face with Jesus, you'll go in one or two directions. You'll be like the first who just remained as he was, rejecting Jesus until he died. Or you'll be like the second who, who saw Jesus for who he really was and turned to him in faith. And Jesus' response to him was, you're with me. The question is, which one represents you? Uh, I don't know the situation that you're in, but, but I know that there's, there's people here today who need to make this decision. Perhaps you've realized this morning that you're actually represented by this, this first criminal, that, that you've been living your life in rebellion against God and and, and, and maybe you, you do, but maybe you don't mock him openly. But, but the way that you've been living your life is you've still been rejecting him by how you live. And, and you can either remain there, continue to reject Jesus until the day you die and die in your unbelief. Or you can be like this second criminal and turn to Jesus own your sin and say to him, Jesus, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. See, his story can be your story. You've got nothing you can offer, nothing you can do to earn it. You're, you're, you're as hopeless as these guys who are nailed to this cross. There's nothing you have to offer. But, but will you own your sin and confess that what you deserve is death. 
will you turn and trust in Jesus as your Savior? And if you've never done that, then now is the time to do that. Now is the opportunity for you to do it. You can do it right now. And so we're going to pray now. Uh, so as we pray, I'm just going to invite you to, to, to bow your heads and, and close your eyes. As we pray, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if, if this is you, if for the first time or perhaps it's the first time that you actually feel like you've really understood it, and if you want to be like the second criminal, that you, that you see your sin, that, that you're owning it, and that, that now you're actually turning to Jesus and saying to him now, remember me. You, you can say that to him now. And if, and if that is you, then, then I just want to invite you, you can maybe just raise your hand just for a moment. Just as a way of acknowledging that between you and God, that this is a moment where you've turned to Jesus. You can do that and invite you to raise your hand. If you've raised your hand or perhaps you didn't raise your hand but you, you, you know that you, you should have, then I'm going to pray for you now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you. We praise you for your work on the cross, dying for us in our place for our sin. And I pray that for each person who is here and saying to you right now, Jesus, remember me. I know that you're hearing their prayer, that you're at work in them right now. Lord, thank you that you have opened their eyes to see you for who you really are. That you have seen, that they have seen their sin before you and their need for you. Lord, I pray that you just be establishing yourself as the center of their lives. That that they would know more and more of what it means to be forgiven in their sin, to be seated with you in the heavenly places. That now they're they're identified with you, that their life belongs to you. And I pray that they would know the forgiveness of sin and the freedom of guilt and shame that only you can give. Thank you, Jesus. We pray these things in your mighty, mighty name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com dot com dot au